0: We will always mourn the loss of our beautiful Lisa Cecilia and are working towards making her legacy a powerful wake-up call to young
1: women and to parents, siblings and friends of these young women to be aware of the warning signs of a controlling relationship and take a proactive approach to assisting them. guys thanks for joining us for episode nine of the true crime sisters podcast just a reminder that we would absolutely love for you to join us on all our social media accounts we're on twitter facebook and instagram you'll find all our links in in the description we're loving that we have so many loyal listeners and we're getting so much amazing feedback you guys are the best so with that out of the way let's get started on this week's case
0: this week we are talking about the death of a beautiful young woman named lisa Harnum. Similar to the Lindsay Van Blanken case we covered in episode 5, this case has a very strong domestic violence element to it, which is great opportunity to talk about something that affects so many women, and I'm sure men too. Domestic violence includes physical, sexual or psychological harm or suffering. This can occur either publicly or privately between a couple.
1: Violence against women can have a very negative effect on a woman's well-being, and as we see in so many domestic violence cases, can result in death. According to the White Ribbon website, one in three women have experienced physical or sexual violence that is perpetrated by someone known to them. In Australia, on average, one woman a week is killed by a current or former partner, and this case is no exception. How scary are those statistics? One by in the way? three is that correct? One in three have experienced physical or sexual violence perpetrated by someone known to them. Yeah, that is a large number. I find the more, more even more scary, the one woman a week is killed.
0: I mean, that's obviously terrifying. But if you think about the population, one woman a week—that doesn't surprise me as much as one in three. Yeah. For some reason, one in three sounds huge. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. Very scary. I could, I would actually believe it if I think about just my friends, myself, and everyone yeah. around me. Like I could literally stand three people up, and it would easily be one. Yeah. So actually, absolutely. it does make sense now I think about it.
1: Before we get into this case, I just wanted to quickly say that if you or someone you know is the victim of domestic violence, make sure you call the National Domestic Violence Hotline on 1800 RESPECT. That's 1800 737 732.
0: The morning of the 30th of July 2011 started out like any other morning for Josh Rathmel. He was a young assistant editor for the ABC News Department in Ultimo, Sydney. He walked his regular route through Hyde Park, which is the parkland in the CBD of Sydney, Australia. He noticed how beautiful, blue and clear the sky was. As he was walking, he was shocked by what he described as deranged screaming that sounded like it was coming from a male. He looked up to where the sound was coming from. It was coming from an apartment building that is known as the Hyde. Josh
1: noticed a shirtless man on the 15th floor apartment balcony carrying what looked like either black luggage or a black duffel bag to the edge of the balcony. He quickly made the connection between the shirtless man and the guttural screaming. The object was being held horizontally in the man's outstretched arms. He watched as the man unloaded the object off the side of the building in a fluid motion, turn and return back inside the apartment. Josh saw the object begin to fall. At this stage, he did not know the true horror of what this object was.
0: Another young man, Yuto Yoshioka, was a student. He was on his way to complete his HSC exams and was sitting at the bus stop across from the high departments. As he was waiting for the bus, he heard a loud noise come from above him. He looked up and saw the same object falling from the building that Josh had seen, except he knew what the object was immediately. It was a body. He saw the body hit the floor and looked up to see a shirtless man on a 15th floor balcony fist pumping the air. As the body hit the ground,
1: an orthopaedic surgeon was driving past the scene. Dr Angus Grey immediately pulled over and ran from his car to assist. He saw a woman laying on her side and from the moment he saw her, it was obvious that her back and one leg were broken. He checked her for signs of life and found no cardiac output or pulse. He began to attempt resuscitation as witnesses began gathering around the woman.
0: That would be a horrible
1: sight in the city. Oh my god, you can't even imagine. And
0: it just didn't like it's so sad for her as well, because in a way that does take away your dignity. Like yeah. you're now this you're now this lady laying, object. Yeah, on the ground yeah. in the C V D. And
1: obviously, like a body that's fallen that far is not gonna look no. um, normal when it's hit the ground. That's, so Yeah, it's
0: very sad. Meanwhile, the man that had been spotted on the fifteenth floor apartment began to run towards the apartment lift. He quickly realised he didn't have a shirt on and returned back to his apartment to grab one. CCTV footage in the lift of the apartment block caught him throwing his arms around wildly in the lift before composing himself and running out of the lift into the foyer of the apartments.
1: One witness reported that the man strolled slowly out of the building towards where the commotion was taking place around the woman on the ground. Reportedly, the man stopped around three metres from the woman's body where the doctor was still attending to the woman. When asked by a witness who he was, he told her that he was the fiancé before poking the woman in the forehead in what witnesses described was a strange way, not that there's any non-strange way to poke someone in the head. That's literally what the court reports say, that he poked her in the head.
0: That is really weird.
1: Really weird. The doctor asked him to get out of the way and he turned back to walk inside the apartment block.
0: That's already a little bit suspicious. Like
1: I agree. I feel like
0: if it was someone that I loved I'd be like, please You'd save be screaming, him. Like, you'd be, I'd be hysterical. I feel like you'd be
1: hysterical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't really know what his personality was like.
0: Everyone acts differently. Generally,
1: but I'd say like yeah. the the majority of people would be hysterical if someone they loved had just fallen yeah. over the side of an apartment block.
0: Yeah, but as we all know, everyone does act differently. Yeah. Like, yeah. Police arrive on the scene and took the man away from the scene to talk to him. Was his fiance dead? he inquired. Police informed him that it did look that way. The woman's body was transported away by ambulance to St Vincent's Hospital, where she was pronounced dead. Her name was Lisa Celia Harnum, and at 30 years old, her life had ended far before it should have.
1: Lisa Harnum was a stunningly beautiful woman. She had big brown eyes, long dark hair and striking features. She was a Canadian national, but had moved to Australia in 2004 on a working visa to live out her dreams. Lisa initially settled in Melbourne before moving up to Sydney. She took a hairdressing course at the Australian Hair and Beauty in Bondi Junction,
0: as well as working part-time to pay for her tuition. She initially lived in an apartment with a girlfriend before she moved in with a male friend, Simon... Gitani. After a couple of months as roommates, a romance developed between Simon and Lisa. Simon decided that he would call his girlfriend by her middle name, Cecilia... And I do apologise, I said Celia earlier. It is Cecilia. Lisa was working for the Australian Hair and Beauty when she initially moved in with Simon and was making enough money to support herself. Initially, their relationship was a happy one, and by all reports, they seemed to get along well. Friends described Lisa as a warm and vivacious woman with a self deprecating sense of humour.
1: Slowly over time, the nature of the relationship between Lisa and Simon began to change. And as is the case with many domestic violence relationships, this change happened so slowly that it crept up on Lisa until it felt like it was too late to escape. Simon Gatani was, by all accounts, extremely controlling. Simon would dictate what Lisa could and could not wear and where she was allowed to go.
0: It started out with Gatani encouraging Lisa to stop working. By some accounts, this suggestion was forceful and by some accounts, it was a gentle push. Gatani suggests that he encouraged her to stop work after she expressed her dislike for her job. Gatani also told Lisa that he felt it was inappropriate for her to wear high heels or feminine clothing when she left the house as he felt it was sending the wrong message to other men. That is that really controlling behavior. Really
1: controlling. Once you
0: start choosing how someone dresses yeah and especially like if they have a strong relationship does it really matter how she appears to other men
1: like yeah well obviously he's got his own insecurities mm. and it also it really starts to develop that dynamic between them where he is the um assertive um dominant one and she is submissive so mm. they both kind of take their roles which becomes a quite a a dangerous thing because it's very hard to get out of those roles once they've developed yeah Simon strongly encouraged Lisa to wear pants and basic clothing along with flat shoes when she left the house. She was asked to keep him informed of all her comings and goings, preferring that she not come and go from their share apartment as he, as she pleased, which is very disturbing. Like having to tell your partner exactly where you're going, when, when you'll be back. I find that really quite disturbing, especially because they didn't have kids together or anything like that. So I mean, he
0: obviously started small and just kept moving to yeah, the end bigger and bigger increments.
1: Could be, and I think that is quite common in domestic violence relationships. It's like they test the water, and then when they get away with the first thing, they can escalate the behavior a bit more, and it just continues to spiral out of control.
0: And it's not something that couldn't happen to anyone. I genuinely oh, believe this could happen to anyone. Like yeah, absolutely. if you love someone, you think they love you and are caring for you. In those small little things, you might think he's protecting me or yeah. she's protecting me, and then literally within two months, there's just one slight little shift, and yeah. by the time you're a year, two years, even three years in, you are in a full controlling domestic absolutely, yeah, and I think people who are
1: those controlling, dominating types are generally drawn to um, people who are a little bit more vulnerable anyway. So it's always that kind of perfect storm Dominance of, of people, massive. yeah, yeah yeah i'm mean, sure not always but i think that's like a quite a common thing
0: or it may not be an always submissive person but in this particular relationship, relationship. they yeah. become a submissive person yeah, exactly. i feel like i've seen that happen in other cases yeah same here. like it's someone who actually was quite a strong person and was probably one of the leaders of their group but like, they're slowly
1: like dragged down mm, and slowly broken down bit by bit until they become controlled
0: and a a person who's extremely abusive will know how to do that. It, would, it probably would not not be their first time in their life. So like yeah. this starts as, sometimes as a child. And like it may not even
1: be like a conscious thing that yeah. they're doing. Mm. Like they may not even realise the full extent of how controlling they are. It's just a natural kind of occurrence to them and their personality type. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You sometimes even see it in children. Like I work with a lot of children. You'll see like a more controlling child. doesn't mean at all that they're going to grow up to be an abuser, but that behaviour has already begun. They are the leader of the pack. And if yeah. someone goes against them... Then they're shunned. Yeah. So you kind of like you can see it how it would
1: develop. Yeah. How her. that
0: can develop, and obviously there's many cases where kids are like that and they grow up and they go, God, I was a weird kid. Yeah. Like, yeah, like but but also people when they get that hint of power, people
1: can't help but hold on to that. Like, it's kind people. of like that um, Zimbardo people. experiment where people were put as like the prisoners and mm. guards, and just having those roles, um, the, the people who were cast as the guards in the experiment naturally began to dominate and abuse their power just because. Being given that power, it makes people act in a way that they shouldn't act. Is that
0: the name of it? I remember it being called something different.
1: It's called The Something Prison Experiment, but the person who ran it was called Philip Zimbardo. Yeah,
0: I've seen the documentary. I really wish I could remember the name. But, yes, that's exactly like that. They literally acted prisoners and guards. Yeah,
1: and these were just normal men. These were normal people. So, you know, it's it's all very interesting.
0: I am going to try and think of the name of it and... Oh, I know. It was the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. the documentary name. I think they even made a movie about it. There is a movie, yeah. yeah. And actually the movie goes, it's a little bit interesting because the movie goes even a little bit further on how people will, like I think they were electrocuting, they thought they were electrocuting the yeah. person on the other side. So you're right, it's just that power yeah. trip. And
1: There's also a good book. I think it's actually by Philip Zimbardo who did the experiment um, called the Lucifer Effect, okay. which is about how people, with, when given the right circumstances and power, be- can become what we would consider evil.
0: Yeah. So, so that's interesting. It's just interesting how these re- – I'm just curious yeah. how these relationships come about and how someone can end up in that position, but I always think it can happen to yeah, anyone. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: So when Lisa went home to visit her family over Christmas in 2010, her mother remembers that she was a completely different woman than when she left Canada. She wore plain grey and black clothing, no makeup, and had her hair pulled back tightly. This was not at all how she presented herself prior to beginning her relationship with Gatani.
0: Gatani had told her that while she was in Canada, she was not to inform her old friends that she was there. He didn't want her going out with her friends and socialising. They had discussed and agreed before she left that she would only stay in and see her family. Lisa's mother reports that Lisa spent a lot of time texting and speaking on the phone with Gatani during the trip, informing him of where she was and why she was at various places. She also reported that she found text messages from Gatani, stern and patriarchal.
1: Lisa's mother was extremely concerned about the relationship between her daughter Lisa and Simon Gatani. She didn't want Lisa to return to Australia... But after three weeks, she did. She was especially concerned after a text message exchange where Lisa asked her not to say anything negative about Simon via text message, as she suspected that he would take her phone and read them. Lisa's mother found this extremely disturbing. Lisa's mother was also the first to suspect that Gitani had bugged Lisa's phone after Lisa said, how does he always know where I am? Lisa did not think he was capable of that at the time, though.
0: So he actually was tracking her on her phone?
1: Yeah, later it came out that he'd actually um, installed spyware on her computer and phone so he could read all her incoming text messages and outgoing text messages and all her emails and everything like that. That's extremely
0: invasive. Yeah,
1: it really is. Very disturbing.
0: Lisa told Gatani that she wanted to go back to work. He eventually relented but told her that she was only allowed to work if it was at a friend's salon where he felt comfortable with her working. And the condition was that she was not to be paid for this work. Well, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's it's very.
0: Why would she not get paid?
1: So that she didn't have money to support herself, obviously. So that she couldn't get away from him. Is my? I mean, that's my. Yeah. My judgment is that why would you not want your partner to get paid because you don't want her to have control of her life? Some you don't independence. Want her...
0: Yeah, you don't want her to have
1: independence, so.
0: So she obviously was desperate at this point because it's like I don't think I'd be really working much for no pay. Like, do you know what I mean? She was obviously literally like, I just need to be, I need an outlet. I need something for myself. Lisa hadn't had the
1: easiest life. As a teenager, she had suffered from eating disorders. Reportedly, this started when Lisa was practising ballet. She even had two hospital admissions in 1999 and 2000 to be treated for anorexia nervosa. She would cycle through recovery and relapse from the disorder and it would often be triggered by stressful events that occurred in her life. She continued to struggle with this on and on throughout on and off throughout her adult life right up until her death. Although she only confided in friends and therapists, never to Gatani.
0: In the lead up to her death, Lisa had been relapsing and told a therapist that she was suffering with bulimia. She reportedly would binge and purge for up to 12 hours a day while Simon was absent from the apartment. She was reported to have said she felt like while she was in such turbulent and controlling relationship This was one thing she was able to keep in control of. And that's so sad. So sad. He's obviously, yeah. Extremely controlling.
1: Lisa was extremely close to her mother and she told her a lot about what she was going through while she was in Australia. Understandably, she was extremely concerned about her daughter's wellbeing and told her often that she should just
0: come back home to Canada. I feel like once you're sort of too far into something, sometimes that just does not feel like It's an hard option. to go back, yeah. Like you feel like you've created this new life and it would be such a backward step to go back. Absolutely. So the poor thing was probably just she in She probably turmoil. just didn't know
1: what to do. Yeah. Like it would have been on her mind constantly, it I'm would sure. Have. Yeah,
0: you can imagine. Mm. Gatani also managed to isolate Lisa from her friends. If any of them started to suspect that Gatani was abusive and Lisa was in danger, they would receive threatening text messages. These messages would warn them to stay away from Lisa and were assumed to be either directly from Gatani or from Lisa on instruction from Gatani. Gatani told her multiple times that he didn't want Lisa around other people because he thought she would be corrupted and polluted by their presence. And she's an adult. That is not his choice. Absolutely. Who she hangs out with. But he makes
1: it so hard for her to have friends that I guess she probably just would have ended up throwing her hands up and going, well... I'm not allowed to have friends. I'm not able to make friendships without him ruining them. So,
0: And you hear time and time again, like some people might be thinking right now or probably not because we all are probably on the same, we all know the same stuff, but you hear time and time again of people sort of thinking why aren't they leaving and it's because they actually are in fear of their life. They, it's literally, they're now in survival mode. She is literally just surviving right fight now. She's not mode. living, she's not having a great life. She's, yeah, she's in that survival mode and it's yeah just so sad it's just not yes. a place you'd want anyone to be in
1: no simon Gitani grew up in sydney's western suburbs in a large christian lebanese family he has a checkered past in 1991 he was arrested at 18 years of age for assaulting someone which resulted in bodily harm Gitani had been confronted by his ex-girlfriend's employer who asked him to stop harassing her An hour later, he returned with 12 men who held the employer down while Gatani repeatedly punched him in the face.
0: In 1993, Gatani was caught outside a Parramatta nightclub with a bunch of stolen items in his car. In 1994, police attended his home after he failed to show up for a court date. He bit off a piece of one of the officer's ear and was charged with malicious wounding. So he bit off a bit of his ear. Yeah. That is disturbing. In 2000, he was charged with drug supply when he was pulled over driving a Porsche in possession of 52 ecstasy pills and wads of cash. He was no stranger to the law. And I know with that um, last one with the ecstasy, he did claim that he was holding that for a friend, but obviously, like, I'm just putting it out there that he <laughs> did claim that. So I just want to put, like, let me. His- you claim
1: that if you were caught with 52 at City Girl? Yeah,
0: of course. I mean, I <laughs> probably would. I know I probably wouldn't if I had a yeah, friend. No. I'm not going to blame my friend, but yeah. um, he did say that. Yeah. yeah. After he was arrested and charged for the ear biting incident,
1: he was able to reduce his punishment by having his religious leaders testify that he was a very religious man. Gatani actually left Sydney and went to Paris to live as a monk at a monastery. He would participate in seven hours of prayer a day and would spend a lot of time in a small room that they called a cell. He stayed there for 18 months before returning back to his life in Sydney. While his priest claims that this religious devotion was genuine, the police officer whose ear was bitten off thinks that this was a ploy to get lenient sentencing.
0: I didn't realise you could get your sentence cut short for being a religious man or a religious person. Well, neither did I, but... Well, Apparently, you can. I'm very surprised about that. I'm really in a bit of shock. like yeah, So you're what? you're a devoted religious in this day and age, you can say, I'm a devout religious person. Well, the country is still run by religion,
1: basically. Yeah. so everyone in power is religious, so are they? they? Um, I think a lot of them, yeah,
0: really? Like are politicians? Yeah, really? I, i'm I'm fairly sure they are. Yeah, I don't I don't know. that that just sounds like a really weird thing, like, oh, I'm yeah. now a devout religious person, so, Cut my sentence short. Yeah. On the 12th of June, 2011, Gatani threw a party for Lisa. At the party, he got down on his bended knee and proposed to her. She accepted his proposal and was, by all accounts, happy and excited. So at this time, obviously, she was unaware that that software had been installed where he was keeping track and reading her text messages and obviously being able to sort of see where she was. Um, the apartment also contained multiple CCTV cameras that Gatani had installed to keep an eye on his fiance. And actually one of those cameras turned out to be quite devastating for him in this trial. Yeah,
1: yeah. Gatani used threats to keep Lisa in line. He would say things like, if you leave me, I'll have you deported, telling her that he had a friend who was a lawyer who could cancel her visa with a moment's notice. During one fight between Gatani and Lisa, Lisa went to leave the apartment when Simon reached out and grabbed her handbag, pulling it off her shoulder and breaking one of Lisa's fingers. To paint a picture of the relationship,
0: we've decided to read a couple of the text messages from Gatani to Lisa. Okay, so um, so this one's from Gatani, obviously, to Lisa, which we've literally just said. Who the fuck do you think you are walking around the house like you own it or coming and going without my permission? Again, I waited for you to apologize for your disgusting comment, but you walk around with your hair out and too proud to apologize. You lied to me and promised you would listen to me at all times. Obviously, you're still the proud person, and nothing has changed. That's like proud person is not a negative thing. No, he doesn't want her to be. He wants her to be beaten down to nothing, basically. So he's pretty like this. Is all very, like, in anyone's face. So if only sh- like she could have taken this to somebody and been like, "This is my situation." Like yeah. the police, she couldn't have because I understand she the mental state she would have been in. But he was just like he wasn't scared openly to this. saying yeah, that. Yeah, that's he what I'm was sort of getting at. Her. But um, I think also something with um,
1: controlling and domestic violence relationships that we actually talked about in the last... Um, the Lindsay Van Blanken episode is called the mean and sweet cycle. So they may treat you like this now and send this horrible text message, and then a couple of hours later, they'll be showering you with mm. love and doing anything they can to get you back on side. That's how they do it. That's how they keep you in their control. They keep you in a cycle. So this
0: is a part of it. These, this is, these strong abusive messages yeah. are a part of the cycle, absolutely to, of control. Yeah. So you have to have this to have the sort of yeah cycle exactly. going.
1: It's horrible. So this is another one. Um, Cecilia, you are my fiancé and I love you, but we both know you have some problems that affect the mood of our relationship at times, but you refuse to admit it. Please pray to God so he can help you get rid of these habits. I love you and I want a future for us. Please get rid of them. Words from my heart. Now, for me, this is uh, super concerning because it is all her fault. Like, he has not taken an ounce of responsibility in this relationship. Um, I feel from this conversation my thoughts I have a psychology degree. I'm not a psychologist but would be that he has a potential narcissistic personality disorder mm. in that he actually doesn't seem to be able to see that he plays a role in um, in their relationship problems, whereas most rational people will go, you know, I-, I do this or you make me feel like this. For him it's like you do this and you... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's all her. It's all her fault.
0: And you can even see the control in that text because he sort of says, he keeps saying, I love you. Like, I love you. I want you to get help. Like, I, it's, I'm here to help you. So he's kind of really... I'm the good
1: guy and you're the bad guy. Yeah, and that's... And for her, a vulnerable woman, she's going to take that to heart. She's she's going to internalise that and she's going to keep chipping away at her self-esteem until there's nothing left.
0: Mm. Lisa saw a psychologist about her bulimia in the months leading up to her death and also expressed her unhappiness with her relationship. She told the psychologist how if there was another man close by, she had to ensure she kept a strong eye contact with Simon, otherwise he would accuse her of staring at the other man. She also told the psychologist that she had no idea how Simon made his money or what he did for a job, only that he left the apartment for a long stretch of time.
1: Simon found out that Lisa had been seeing a therapist and became very angry. He either wrote or forced Lisa to write the therapist a text message from Lisa's phone saying that she had ruined Simon and Lisa's relationship and to leave her alone. Reportedly, after Gatani heard that Lisa had seen a therapist, he told her that she needed to bend down on both knees and submit to him.
0: What does that mean, submit to him?
1: So it was in, like, um, he's really trying to show his dominance by getting her to bend on the ground and be like, yeah, and be like, I... I will do what you want me to do kind of thing. So this is something that was from the court records that um, I think the prosecution used to paint a picture of Gatani and this is something that a, a witness had been told by Lisa that she had to do after he found out about the psychologist.
0: Lisa had been messaging back and forward with her therapist, letting her know that she had been packing things to leave Simon and putting them into storage. Now we know that Simon most likely saw these messages along with others sent to Lisa's mother and began to feel like he was quickly losing the control over his fiance he had worked so hard to create. He called her therapist and told her you fucking bitch if you ever come near Cecilia again try to contact or meet her or have anything to do with her I know where you live I will fucking harm you. So he's obviously got that God, he's just a dick, isn't he? Yeah, absolute horrible, horrible pig of a man. And um... – why did he change her name to Cecilia? Does it mention that, or he just I'm not is tra- that a control thing? I'm, I'm not.
1: I'm really not sure why. I also found that a little bit strange. But that's just creepy to me. It is a bit creepy. Whether he preferred that name or it I, depends I, I what don't she know. wanted.
0: But in my head, I'm like, did he like? He even changed her name. Like, yeah, it makes you wonder. It took, took away a bit of her identity. Yeah. Or unless she was obviously she may yeah. have wanted to move to Australia, new name, new start, new life, which is yeah, although she didn't change her name to Cecilia until mm. she met him. Okay. So I, I
1: really don't know. I'm not that sure. It just—it's just, it's just it, one of those things that kind of pricks your interest when you realise yeah. how controlling the relationship is. You go, is oh, that she couldn't even it? keep a name. Yeah, like, is that what? part of it? The day before Lisa died, she made a phone call to her mother and asked her if she could fly over to Sydney and get her. Lisa's mum agreed, and she also told Lisa that if things got out of hand, she should grab her passport and get out of there. Lisa told her mother through text messages that she planned to book a one-way ticket home to Canada. She was unaware that her text messages were being monitored by her controlling fiancé. She also mentioned to her mother that if anything happened to her, sorry, she should contact Lisa's friend, who knew the details of the domestic violence and provided her with the phone number.
0: It is assumed that Katani found the text messages sent between Lisa and her mother about the plan to book a one-way ticket home to Canada. Most likely, he would have made the connection that his fiancé was getting ready to leave him for good. When he tried to log onto his spyware on the morning that Lisa died, he realised that she had changed the password and became enraged. What happened from here is still not 100% known and the theory differs depending on who you talk to. Gatani says that they got into a
1: fight and Lisa grabbed her bag to leave. He says that she went for the door and he grabbed her so that she wouldn't cause a scene outside. In the CCTV footage from the front of their door, a shirtless Skitani can be seen grabbing Lisa firmly around the mouth and it looks as though he drags her back into the apartment. At the trial, neighbours reported hearing a woman in the hallway screaming, help me, please help me, God help me. And if you've seen this footage, it is so disturbing. It's
0: really disturbing. Like, I don't
1: think I've seen anything quite disturbing I actually, disturbing yeah, almost
0: wish I didn't see it. Like, yeah. I saw the photo and I was just wondering if there was more. And so I sort of looked a little bit further and she's definitely a woman pleading, like, Yeah, pleading she's terrified. And yeah.
1: he has definitely got a firm He's got around full the mouth. hand around yeah. her mouth and potentially nose as well, yeah. to be
0: honest. It's really hard to see where the hand exactly is, but it's definitely a full hand on yeah, her face. Yeah, and it's a big
1: hand over a, a small... Woman. She's a petite woman over a small woman's face. It's, it's, it's very disturbing.
0: Gatani says he then sat Lisa down on the couch and went over to the kitchen to make her a hot drink. Yeah, sure. Like, what? Yeah, that's what you do in that situation. He says that when he looked back, she was running over to the balcony and he chased her, trying to stop her. He says she began climbing over the edge and then slipped and fell to her death. However, this is not what the police thought happened in the lead-up to Lisa's fall.
1: Simon initially was cooperative with police. He accompanied them to the Surrey Hills Police Station after Lisa was taken away to St Vincent's Hospital via ambulance. He told them that the couple had had a fight and they had mutually decided that it was best for her to return home to Canada. Um, he reports that she was behaving irrationally and appeared to initially be strongly implying that the fall was a suicide. Um, and not long after that, he actually did stop cooperating with police. Mm. So I think once he got wind of the fact that he was potentially... Uh, a suspect he did stop cooperating.
0: Yeah. Which actually as far as stopping cooperating goes, I think like after all the sort of different crime things I've watched and seen, I think if I was a suspect for anything, I would freak out because yeah. like they can make like I would be scared. I would I honestly... feel like if it was my child or something or like a close family yeah. member, I would absolutely cooperate. I feel like if the person was already dead, you're the only two people in the room, I would be like, nah, I don't want to say anything. Yeah,
1: I, I totally get that yeah. because you see so many times where a person is like trapped into making yeah. confession or whatever.
0: I would freak out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not speaking for him. I'm just saying I can understand why once you realize you're actually the only person in the ets, you versus the person who's yeah. no longer alive, I'd be like, nah, I'm not talking anymore. Yeah.
1: That's just. Or not me. without a lawyer's advice. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Based on witness accounts, the prosecution put together a case that included the idea that Lisa was unconscious when she fell from the building. Multiple witnesses stated that she wasn't flailing, moving or making noise as she fell the 15 stories. There was 69 seconds from the time Gatani was seen with his hand over Lisa's face on CCTV to the time she fell from the balcony. Could a man of his stature Render a small woman like Lisa unconscious and throw her over the side of a balcony in little over a minute? This was the big question. One big fact
1: that the prosecution brought up at trial was the fact that there was not one of Lisa's fingerprints on the glass balcony wall. Experts suggested that if she had to have climbed over the wall um, by herself and fallen either on purpose or accidentally, that they would expect there to be some sort of fingerprint evidence from her to confirm this.
0: I must admit, though, I saw them do a practice of that and they did it literally like five times and no identifiable fingerprints. Yeah. So they had a woman, they set up a, a total reenactment of the site, the crime scene. They literally had a lady jumping over, using her hands, and every single time she, her fingerprints were too smudged. Okay. So I can't... And that was a pristine, clean... Glass. Yeah. So I can't say for sure that her fingerprints would be there. Yeah, if, that's fair enough. Yeah. I can see
1: absolutely why the prosecution would use that as a point. I can see why they would use Gittani.
0: it. But at the same time, yeah, when I saw it being tested, it wasn't, her fingerprints were not there. So yeah. that's just a little bit of information there. Gatani's defense team relied on Lisa's mental health past to paint Simon as an innocent man. They had a psychiatrist testify that someone who suffered from eating disorders like Lisa would have a tendency to behave in an impulsive and potentially dangerous way, which they suggested could account for why she would climb over the balcony, especially if she had not been allowed to leave through the front door. And I can sort of understand that point of view as well. Like, obviously, I've got no idea what happened, but um, if someone's been controlled, controlled, controlled to this state, there's obviously always that potential chance that they may be a bit suicidal, they may go into... um, a psychotic state. Like, there's different things that could happen to them. So I'm not saying that she did or didn't jump, but I'm just saying that their story, to me anyway, does make me go, it does make me question. Yeah. Like, I believe that he's a dick. Like, as we, everything we've gone through, all the court documents, all the text messages, he's not a good guy. But to me, it's like, and yeah, but to me... You can see
1: why the defence used that.
0: And why I, and also it makes me think a little bit. Like, if I was on that jury, I'd really have to consider... Is this a woman who's been pushed to her absolute limit and is like...
1: See, I think she absolutely is a woman that's been pushed to Mm. her limit. But I feel also with all of the evidence we have, including the witness, um, the witnesses' accounts and the fact that she wasn't moving at all when she was dropped, I I strongly do believe he's guilty and I have absolutely no problem Mm. saying that. Like, I don't want myself to appear diplomatic. I know you are. I don't want to appear
0: diplomatic. I'm just being honest. Like, I'm not trying to appear any way. I'm just saying that's how my brain works. I'm like... I just
1: want to separate myself from how you feel, I guess, because we do feel very differently about this case. You want to... You like being kind of... um, Well, how would you say it?
0: Well, it's not that I like being any... It's just like that's my literal opinion. Like, I'm not just (laughs) like being like, oh, I don't want to say that. Like, I'm actually just thinking in my head. I'm like, I can see like a woman being pushed to this level and being controlled and I would probably be in a way probably if it's if I thought I couldn't escape like I'm trying to go to Canada he's not letting me like I've literally got no options i would be like and she, she's been controlled for a period of time she may be feeling I have no other options yeah. I'm in a and she's in a state he's got her around the just like screw this I'm going over yeah I also don't get me wrong I'm not saying that's what happened I'm just saying that's the defense's case and to me I can kind of go
1: In November 2013, Simon Gattani was found guilty of the murder of his fiancée, Lisa Harnum by throwing her off the balcony. The judge believed that she was most likely rendered unconscious in the apartment after trying to leave through the front door and then thrown over the side of the balcony. Simon Gattani was sentenced
0: to 26 years in prison with a non-parole period of 18 years. While justice appears to have been found for Lisa Harnum, her family are still without their beautiful daughter and sister, Lisa's brother says that her spirit will always live on and is with their family at all times. Our hearts go out to them. This case shows us that controlling relationships can go wrong quickly. Just again, before we leave, I wanted to reiterate the importance of getting help if you find yourself in a situation like Lisa's. You can get out. If you or someone you love needs help from a domestic violence situation, please call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. Thank you for joining us today for episode 9 of the True Crime Sisters podcast. We hope you're able to
1: take something away from this episode. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to contact us via email or on social media. Stay tuned after our outro music for a promo of another great true crime podcast from our friend Ariel from Murder Under the Midnight Sun. This is a great podcast. It's really well researched and interesting. So if you like us, you're going to love her. Thank you so much for listening today and until episode 10, please stay safe.
0: Do you like hearing stories about murderous drifters? What about deadly strippers? Okay, what about entire towns being hunted down by a madman with a gun? If any of that sounds interesting, you should check out Murder Under the Midnight Sun, true crime stories from Alaska and beyond, available on iTunes and Stitcher.